Welcome to the Simplecast. On this episode, Sarah Bessie joins with Chris to talk about chapter two of Doing Good is Simple. Ordinary is the new radical because Jesus doesn't leave justice to the professionals. Sarah is an incredible blogger and speaker, and her most recent book is called Out of Sorts. Plus, she's Canadian. Take it away, Chris. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Simplecast. My name is Chris Marlowe, and I have a very, very special guest, one of my favorite people in the entire world, Sarah Bessie joining the Simplecast today. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. You are just such a great friend of Help One Now. You've kind of been a part of so much of our story the last four or five years. And so I'm very excited to have you on and to kind of be able to share about chapter two, which the title basically is Ordinary is the New Radical because Jesus doesn't leave justice to the professionals. And Sarah, I think you fit that mode so well because ultimately you and I both know that justice is something that we're all called to do and loving our neighbors, just kind of a natural extension of what it means to be a believer. Absolutely. I think when I read that chapter title, I may have actually cheered out loud. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So yeah. that was good. <laughs> oh, good. Awesome. Okay, well, let's jump in. So in chapter two, I talked about how hard it was for me to return home after visiting Zimbabwe. And I remember just having, you know, these excruciating collisions of reality, moving back to, or going back to Austin from Zimbabwe, trying to like, Put together my two worlds of first world and developing world. You know, I just really struggle with that. And I remember the first time you came to Haiti, and that was kind of your first trip to a developing country. Can you kind of just share about your experience in Haiti with Help One Now and what it meant for you to also return home and maybe struggle with integrating these two worlds that we live in? Well, you know, I this is all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people say that about me. I'm a little worried about this. <laughs> I know. It's like I don't know if you deserve the blame or the credit sometimes, but Wait, 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 real quick. It's is it who wait, who was it who Laura? Laura Tremaine? Who invited you? Oh, no. Uh, I invited Laura, I think. You um, invited Laura on the yeah, second trip. He, yeah, on the second trip. Yeah. Uh, it was Jen. Jen. Uh, Jen Maker who invited me. I think it was That's in right. 2012. Yeah, of course so it was Jen Hatmaker. Right? Yeah, everything everything rises and falls on Hatmaker. Yeah. <laughs> and so she uh there you guys had planned a blogger trip and I think someone had actually wasn't able to come and so she suggested me and I think you guys called and I said I I immediately said no. Like I was just like <laughs> No, you know, like my, my children were really little. I wasn't someone who did that kind of stuff. I didn't had never really left, you know, North America, Canada, you know, kind of place. And so, yeah, I just and, and also I had a huge, to be honest, issue with the idea of like poverty tourism. Right. The idea of going into a place and taking a lot of pictures so that it looks yeah. like you're doing something amazing. But really, you're just kind of taking advantage of people and this whole idea of objectifying. And I just I don't know. I felt like it was oversimplifying and you know, all these other sorts of things. And so I said no. And then I just really had this sense from, you know, from the Holy Spirit to just kind of reexamine that. And so after talking about it with my husband and a few people and getting to know you guys a little bit better and getting to know the org a little bit better, I was just like, gosh, this is just so different than poverty tourism. This is actually relationships. This is friendship. This is something I can do. And so, you know, we went to Haiti together, which was a beautiful experience. I remember so clearly almost every single person that we spoke with, and I still still know them, like, you know, four or five years later, and there being this sense of relationship and 
and uh, and friendship. But I remember having this simultaneous experience of feeling like I loved it and hated it yep. at the same time. Yeah, you wrote a blog post. That was one of your like infamous blog posts. Like, you know, you, you loved and hated Haiti. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's one of those things that it, it's just so incredibly complex, right? It's it's complex to do. Uh, it's not fun to think about some of these things. I feel like it changed the whole way I viewed God, you know, because to me, a lot of the ways where I've encountered and experienced God has been within my context of being a woman who's in, you know, Western Canada. And so what do you do when God suddenly, you encounter God so strongly in a place that is so different and so completely opposite to how you've ever encountered God before, and yet it is beautiful and holy and hard, and it smells different, and it tastes different, and it looks different, and yet you can't deny the overwhelming mercy and goodness of God that's also present there. And I think that's the thing I found most refreshing about what we were doing and the relationships that we built there that then have carried on over these last four years since is there wasn't this sense of like, we were bringing God to Haiti, you know, like that we were going to be these big saviors or anything like that. If anything, like our posture and the posture that I saw from all of you in leadership at help one now was always that of being a learner and a partner and a friend. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly, you know, as we, as I kind of wrestle with in the book and a lot of us are wrestling with this idea of short term, mission trips. And I think what you just talked about is so powerful, right? Because if we can, instead of, you know, instead of, I hate even call them trips, right? Or short term, like you, you came to Haiti for a five day trip, but ultimately you walked away from Haiti with a new experience and understanding of God, new friendships, new way that God was going to use you to make a difference in the world through your writing and your advocacy and other areas. And so in the book, I talk about a life interrupted. Can you just talk about maybe two or three ways that God literally interrupted your life once you left Haiti and kind of integrated back into society? Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, actually, one of them happened even when we were in Haiti, you know, because we were supposed to be going up to Duran, who, which is another area where we're working as an org. And yet, you know, the vehicle had broken down and there was simply no way to get there. And we were kind of left going, okay, we've got no schedule. We've got no idea what, what it is we were supposed to be doing. There were all these things we kind of had in, in the uh, in the queue. And then they, you know, just kind of revisited, well, maybe we could, you know, go back to visit some of the friends we've seen before and and continue to have conversations. And what ended up arising out of that was really our longing for this, not to just be about, you know, writing some blog posts for a week, but instead actually leaving a legacy. And so even that like physical interruption of our plans ended up giving rise to these conversations about wanting to have a lasting project that we were connected to. And that led to us deciding to fundraise and help contribute to building this school in, uh, in Patientville. And so, you know, it just like was like being on a steam engine. Like it just was overwhelming how fast it came together and how we just kind of kept saying yes and yes and yes. And this can come and this, and everybody was kind of bringing their portion to the table until by the end of the day, we had like, a full plan. We had a strategy. We had filming done. We had. We knew how we were going to execute this thing. We knew what our goals were. We knew, knew what our strategies were. And the next thing we knew, we just kind of hit the ground running. And then we ended up, you know, on the other side of that funding that whole school. And if we had not allowed that interruption, it just, you know, not only would we 
not have seen that school built in the way that it was. I mean, I still believe that a school could have been built. And it's like I said, it's hardly that we're, you know, the only answer to anyone's problems. But yet we would have all missed the opportunity Mm -hmm. to see that miracle, to participate in it. I mean, and I think the thing I loved most about it is how it was so grassroots, right? Like everybody just, you know, people all over Canada and the United States, $10, $25, piece by piece by piece by piece. And we just kind of funded this whole amazing thing. And it all arose out of that interruption. And isn't it interesting how kind of God used that interruption to really inspire, you know, thousands of people to, I mean, some gave 20,000, some gave 10, some gave 10,000, 10, some gave $10. It was amazing to kind of, to kind of watch all of that unfold, knowing that, and kind of what I'm wrestling with in this chapter, like, you know, Jesus doesn't leave justice to the professionals. Like we all have a role. We all have a place. We all have a, an, an ability to make a huge impact. But I, I, want, I, want, I want to ask you another question. So oftentimes in, in kind of the faith community, we, we want to be close to God. And, you know, whatever terminology is, we want to live on mission. We want to serve, take more risk in life. And yet we're so scared often to do that. Can you talk maybe quickly about the need for us as kind of disciples and believers to be interrupted, whether it's with, you know, kind of how our interruption happened in Haiti, but just like, how do we help the listener understand that being interrupted is actually a better way to live than, than allowing fear to like force us to never take risk in life? You know, I think that the thing that I've always found really overwhelming in, in a lot of conversations around justice is just how powerless you feel sometimes. You feel quite small and like there's not much really that you can do. And so oftentimes our default position becomes to sort of cloister ourselves away from the things that break our hearts yep. or from the things that make us angry. Uh, because it's the only way we know really how to cope with our sense of powerlessness or even our sense of fear about it. Mm. And so I think that one of the the things that really rises to my my mind first is being able to to hold that space you know of being able to say you know i can acknowledge the darkness i can see the grief i can see the injustices i can see these things that are broken whether they're systemic large systems of injustice and i think that one of the great things about being a believer is that you aren't required to deny the darkness Right. It's like yep, there's yep. no part of you that's like, oh, it's not dark. It's fine. We're all fine. Everything's fine. Everybody's fine. Everybody yep. look busy, you know, but instead there's this sense of like, why would you even need to light a candle? Like Jesus talks about lighting a candle, yeah. lighting your candle and putting it up on a lampstand, yep. you know, being like a city on the hill. Why would you even need to have that if you weren't acknowledging the truth, if you weren't acknowledging the darkness? And so I think that that's a beautiful thing about this chapter and these conversations about the idea of being interrupted is saying, look, I'm going to call and identify the darkness, admit that these things are real and know that I cannot do everything, but that's not going to stop me from lighting the one candle that I can, you know, and, and putting that out there, being teachable, joining with other people who are also on mission with God. I think that it all matters, you know, and, and what's more is it's often seeds that we can't even perceive and imagine the harvest that is on yeah. the other side of that obedience, right? And it's kind of interesting too, right? When you, when, after the interruption of life happens, whatever that is for you, maybe a trip to Haiti for others, you know, whatever kind of, you know, God's leading them to. It's interesting because life gets harder, but life also gets more beautiful. Ha, have mm-hmm. you been able to sense that kind of coming back from Haiti and kind of being more, and you've been involved in other justice scenarios as well. You're involved in Canadian ministries as well. Like has, has life been harder, but more beautiful since that moment of interruption? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that's the beautiful thing about it is that it's like what Friedrich Buechner always says, right? Here is the world, both beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. And I think that that's, you know, a really gospel rooted sort of idea that, you know, it's beautiful and it's terrible. It's both of those things at the same time. It's a hard thing to go, you know, through life with your your heart open, right? Because then almost all of these things can sort of fall in. which is probably where it all belongs anyway. I mean, because then all of a sudden it has a face on it. You know, it's hard to talk about, or it's easy to kind of spout off opinions on poverty, but do you know the names of anyone who's poor? I think it's Nelson Romero who said that. And it's just this idea that people have faces, that now it's not uh, dehumanized or depersonalized, that no matter what area of your life you're in, I mean, there's this seamlessness and this integration that happens where it's not like, here's the Jesus-y things I do, and then I go to work, and then I go to school, and then I go here. You know, like these false demarcations that we sort of have between the things that we do that we think matter versus the things that don't. But instead, seeing the kingdom of God and the spirit of, of Christ infusing all those things, and how can all of them be pushing back the darkness? How can all of them be making things right? And so, I mean, whether I'm in Haiti or I'm here back home in Abbotsford or I'm anywhere else in the world, you know, your your work is still making things right. Yeah, I love that. And I love helping people understand that when, when, when God interrupts your life and, and, and it gets a little harder on many layers and harder by the fact that, you know, you experience things, you experience pain, you experience hurt, you understand that you have friends in Haiti or you have friends down the street who are hurting and you want to help. But there are also these moments where your life gets more beautiful because you see the impact and the power of generosity. You, you, you get to experience what it means to partner with another, another person and do good and really see change. And so I remember this one moment, your second trip to Haiti, you walked into Gaetan's space and mm-hmm. you saw the school that was mm-hmm. built that you were a part of. Can you just share what it meant to be part of that moment, knowing that you had worked really hard to advocate and to raise money on behalf of Help One Now for that school when you saw hundreds of Haitian kids getting educated that day? You know, it was, it was amazing. I think it was amazing because it felt so ordinary. You know, the mm. whole time we were planning it, the whole time we were doing it, it was just like one thing after time. It's like, okay, great, here's this idea. Great, now I'm going to do this and now I'm going to you know, write some stuff and you're going to write some stuff and we're going to call people we know who might be interested. It's like none of it at any point felt like we are saving the world, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it was just this sense of like, we can do this and this matters and we love these kids and we're going to build them a school. And so we're going to do it now. And I remember walking in and seeing this beautiful school and I just remember just crying, like standing in the middle of this little kindergarten classroom where the walls were yellow and they had all their letters on the walls and, you know, their artwork and, and small little tables and things, because I felt like I had was witnessing and standing in the midst of this miracle, right? This miracle of the church together and this idea of being united across nations and that we are all showing up and loving each other well and that it stretched right from my little home here in Abbotsford to Haiti to you in you know Raleigh and to you know all the way around the world right and so this idea of it being born out of friendship and relationship you end up feeling really honored to be a part of this small thing does it fix everything no does it fix something yes and just just to see the tangible part of the kingdom like and in, in the tangible part of generosity, the tangible part of hard work over, you know, long periods of time and for 
to be able to show up and just, you know, oftentimes we don't see that it was just so tangible that day. Tears were streaming down your eyes as teachers were teaching kids and Pastor Gaetan, you're seeing this dream come true. And it was, it was this unity and this power of the church working together. And it really not even the church, just people working together, even beyond the church who are part of that and say, you know what? We can make a difference. We can't solve every problem, but we can, you know, donate $25 and that will give one more brick to build that school. And one of the things I talk about, and and, 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 and this is a challenge I think we face, Sarah, is there, there, we all have different roles when it comes to doing good and seeking justice. When oftentimes, you know, when you have the professionals, folks like me who get up every single day and we, we know I have 40, 50 hours a week to invest in all the complexities of of extreme poverty, poverty alleviation, whatnot. Then we have this whole other stream of people who get up every single day and they, God's given them a different vocational calling. Oftentimes, there, there's a disconnect between the two. And so can you help us, um, help, help the audience understand the importance of one, knowing your role and using the gifts and talents that you have to make a difference? Because if there's one thing I'm hoping the book will do in this podcast is I want every single person to realize like God wants to use them to make the world better, to love their neighbor and to bring hope no matter what space they're in. Well, I think that's something that you have, you know, given so many of us and demonstrated for us and, um, and taught and led us in, because I think that that's the immediate response. I mean, in the context of church where I sort of came of age, particularly in my twenties, there was almost like this, I call it my evangelical hero complex, right? Where you're just like, <laughs> that, you yeah. know, it's like... Well, you had that? Like, Did you have the t-shirt too? No, I know, right? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, let the festivals begin. And so, you know, it was just this sense of like, it's got to be big and amazing and sexy for God. And you've got to go and you've got to do and you've got to accomplish all these huge things. And so, you know, the message that you kind of absorb is like, unless you are doing all that kind of, you know, big, important, you know, even full-time vocational ministry per se, or, you know, uh, doing what you do, that somehow it's not good enough for God, that all vocations aren't equal, right? That God, you know, that the rest of us are just kind of pew fodder or cogs in the machines, or we're the ones who bankroll, you know, the real work of the ministry. (laughs) Yeah, right. I just had a conversation with a a friend of ours, uh, one of our board members, Adam, and he always says, I'm just a doctor. And I'm like, He's just a doctor who saves lives every single day. Yeah, seriously, and I'm right? Like, you're you're just a doctor. You're like, come on. I mean, or I'm just a teacher. Or you know, I'm like that. That is a like. There's so much magic in the mundane, and we often feel like you know it's less than. And I hate when people feel that way because their jobs and roles are absolutely vital, even if they're not as sexy. Totally, and I think that that's just it, right? It's like learning how to affirm, you know, work is good and vocation and, you know, callings and even seasons of our lives. I mean, I'm a, a mom to four really small children, and so that's a very different season than when you're in a season of life when you are, you know, an, an, a, you know, uh, someone who is doesn't have children or if your children have left home or, you know, whatever else, right? And so, I mean, there's just lots of different, you know, components and factors, but there was this one gal I was talking to in Edmonton and she used the phrase, she was like, you know what, you can't do everything, but you can look at like, who's in, you know, what's in my hands to yeah. do, right? What is, what is it that's in my hands to do? And it's like, well, you know what, I can't go and save the world like you can, Chris, but you know what, I'm a writer. And so I can write and I know people, a few people, and so I can talk to them and I can pray Right. And I can I can learn and I can I can acknowledge and I can uh, be an advocate. 
in all the ways that I can possibly be. And then there's other people who can bring other gifts. I mean, a lot of what yep. my background has been in is in marketing. So sometimes I can bring things like from strategic planning perspectives or, you know, whatever it is, here's what's in my hands. And if yep. you just can offer that up to God, I honestly believe that we will be dazzled with what God will do with that. And you will be entirely obedient, entirely in the right place in your life, working with God in partnership in this idea of, you know, co-creating yeah. the world the way that God intended it to be. You're partnering with God to rescue and restore and redeem right yep. in your life right now. You don't have to go somewhere far away to do that. Absolutely. And one of the things I always say is there's only one hero. It's Jesus. And the rest of us are just servants. And every Absolutely. day we do our best to just serve the kingdom. Right. And I mean, I honestly really believe that there's something really holy about about all those places, yep. right? And all those seasons of your life and all the, the callings and areas and roles. And I mean, anywhere that you are, you're you following Jesus. Yep. You know, yep. you're never in the wrong spot if you're if you're discipling yourself to Jesus, whether that ends you up being a, a doctor or a teacher or a writer or, yep. you know, some, you know, someone of importance or what or not. Yeah, it's fascinating, you know, too. One of the one of the, one of the things I it, you know I just I, I want our people to understand this so much, like when folks you know get involved in help one now, they they never get involved in help one now because of me or because of a staff member or even because of a video or they they always get involved in help one now because one of their peers, one of their friends, one of their coworkers, one of their church members has said, hey, here's a great thing that I've been a part of, come join us. I don't think people understand like the real hero of the story are these amazing leaders that we serve around the world. And then our tribe who literally advocate in behalf uh, for us all the time. And that matters so much. Mm-hmm. No, so, very true. Yeah. So, okay, quick question. You wrote a book out of sorts recently and um, yeah. I love it. It's great. It's phenomenal. Can you just kind of share why you wrote that book and the message that you're trying to get home kind of to the audience real quick? Well, it's funny, actually, like the one of the very last chapters in the book is called Evangelical Hero Complex. <laughs> it talks about like vocation and calling and this whole big thing. And we're talking about. Yep. So I wrote the book. I, you know, at the time I thought I was writing it for, you know, people who were sort of in that season of their life when they're, you know, doubting and questioning and wondering. But now looking back, I'm pretty convinced I probably wrote the book I wished I would have had. You know, 15 yeah. years ago. Oh, that's good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. Right? When you're just kind of in this season of life. And I think that when you hit that time in your life, when you start to have questions or doubts or uh, wonderings or just wondering if the way that you understand your faith or scripture or church or Jesus or justice or any of these things, if it's really the way you want to finish things. And so I think it's, you know, uh, hopefully looking for a way to shepherd people well. Yep. In that season of life, I mean, it's less about saying, great, here's a nice new set of answers for all these mm -hmm. questions you have. And more about, I think, learning how to lean into those questions and, and places of, of tenderness, I think, because there's often some grief attendant with it. And so mm -hmm. it's a tender place. I think it's actually far from being something to avoid and pretend that you're not in that place that actually it's a, an invitation mm. right from the yep. Holy Spirit to just kind of continually grow in your spiritual formation and, and be changed and transformed into being more like Jesus even if it completely changes your opinions and your you know theology or your you know what you thought your life would look like and whatever else right and so anyway yeah it's been a it's been out since last November and just been really humbled by the response to it and uh, really thankful to, to do the work that I do right. <laughs> Well, it's interesting, too, because even the book title, like, we're not supposed to talk about that. Like, we're I have, know, right? We're, we're <laughs> have everything in place. Everything's nailed down. We've got everything figured out. 
And then you're saying you're giving people permission to like, hey, we don't we don't always have to have everything figured out. And I think one of the things I'm wrestling with, even with doing good and making it simple and making an impact in the world is helping folks understand like you don't have to have everything figured out. Like there are professionals who are going to spend time kind of unpacking that for the rest of us. But it doesn't mean you have you don't it doesn't mean you can't make an impact by jumping on 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 board and saying hey I'm I want to be used to make a difference in the world and so oftentimes we feel out of sorts trying to you know tackle these challenges around the world and alleviate extreme poverty and solve problems and it's always our tribe members who jump on and say you know what here's how. I can help you solve that problem. So it's pretty amazing to be a part of. So, well, hey, Sarah Bessie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for being a great friend to help one now. Thank you for, for being a guide and giving people permission to talk about hard topics and, and to drive clarity. I know God's using you in, in, in tremendous ways, but what I know about you more than anything else is at the end of the day, you're just, you're, you're a wife and you're a mom and like you have these local roots that you're invested in the local church there where you live as well. And so I think it's amazing to kind of have, you know, kind of this, this national ministry that you have, but also this local part. So thank you really for doing both of those things. And we're very excited to see where all this goes. Great. Thanks so much, Chris. Love you guys. Awesome. Have a good day, sir. Bye. Thanks, Sarah. You'll find links to Sarah's books and her website at our show page. You can follow Sarah at Sarah Bessie and find Chris online at Chris Marlowe. The Simplecast is produced by Austin Collins and me, Ken Diesbaum. And our music is courtesy of Lamar Stockton. For Chris Marlowe and Sarah Bessie, thanks for listening. And until next time, do good, do good well, and maybe join with us to do good together. <laughs>